Well, this morning we return once again to the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open with me there to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. After, uh, what was it, I think five weeks, we're finally out of chapter one and uh, beginning chapter two. I don't suspect that we'll take that much time in each chapter, but we'll see how how it goes. Of course, this letter... None of the letters, none of the books of the Bible were divided into chapter and verse, and so Paul's message this morning really flows from and falls in line with where we were two weeks ago when we were last in this book. We last were talking about the call of the Scriptures to heavenly citizenship, and specifically the call for us as the church to fight as one. Let me remind you, verse 27, Paul says to the church, standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side for the faith, having courage in the face of opposition. That was his admonition to us. And today he turns even more inwardly. We don't know all the the details, but we do know that familial affection is being threatened in the church at Philippi. And so Paul turns to the requirements for his brothers and sisters to begin to cultivate this kind of oneness that he has called them to strive for side by side. This is a rich passage. It's probably one of the most familiar passages to many in this book, maybe even in the entire Bible. But we're just going to Look at the first four verses. We're going to spend a couple weeks here in verses 1 to 11. And this morning, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 4. we got a lot going on in this service this morning, so I'm trying to take that into consideration. Uh, Verses 1 through 4, like the last text that we look at, is one long Greek sentence. But I want us to hear beyond that sentence into the great declaration of Jesus' work that we'll look at more in depth next week. And so listen closely, and if you are able, I'd invite you, as we always do, as Ezra called God's people in the Old Testament to do, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Listen as I read. Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Let me begin this morning with a groundbreaking, shocking, illuminating statement. Not really, but here's the statement. We humans, we are fighters. We are fighters. And I'm not talking about the, the pick up and defend your country, pick up your arms and defend your country kind of fighting. No, I'm talking about whether motivated by pride, control, or reputation, we go after one another. Domestic violence, political divides, international conflict, as one pastor said, disunity drives the news. We see it on a global scale with tanks and guns. We see it on a personal scale in our homes and in our church. Sometimes it's with words. Sometimes it's with fists. Sometimes it's simply in the privacy of our own hearts. The fact of the matter is sin has created enmity in our relationships. We are a fighting people. Yes, in Christ, through the gospel, as I prayed and gave thanks for, we are new creations, and yet our bent and broken nature is not yet made perfect. And so, how many times has Paul addressed the issue of unity in the church? I think I've preached on unity and not always by my own selection, just as God has brought His Word to us at least half a dozen times in the past couple years. Over and over again. Paul proclaims, be unified, church. God proclaims, be unified, church. And so once again this morning, Paul presses home the need for unity among the people of God. Three encouragements guide us this morning. I want to work through these as quickly as I can. I'd like to begin with the only imperative found in these verses. The first three words of verse 2. It's the title that I've chosen for this message this morning. Complete my joy by striving for unity. Complete my joy by striving for for unity. Verse 2, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's a personal pastoral plea that's at the heart of Paul's encouragement to the Philippian church this morning. And it's the same plea that I take upon my lips as the pastor of Ascension Presbyterian Church. And what does Paul mean by this? Well, simply put, Paul's joy is bound up in the growth of the Philippian church. Parents, you understand this. There's, there's nothing more enjoyable than sitting back and, and watching your kids bicker and fight in selfishness and disregard for their siblings. Isn't it wonderful? No, it's not wonderful. 
Your delight as a parent is to see them loving and serving and enjoying one another as one unified family despite their differences. Proverbs 10.1, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. And so Paul here in Philippians shares a piece of, of his heart, much like the apostle John does in 3 John 4, where John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. You see, I get this because I love this church. And I've been here almost 12 years, and I've known some of you for that entire time, and yet these past two years have been so difficult. Some of the most difficult in my close to 20 years in ministry. Why? Because we have been at odds with one another. We have been at one another. Even if just in our hearts, And so I simply ask you, selfishly, as Paul does the Philippian church, bring me joy by striving for unity. Love your pastors. Love your shepherds by not being content to be at odds with one another, but by pursuing one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus. Now I know that Paul's inspired plea to the church at Philippi carries way more weight than a plea from Nate Hitchcock this morning. But even Paul's plea is not enough to motivate you in this striving. Which is why, though Paul adds this personal complete my joy, he begins with something much more significant. You can't just do this for Nate Hitchcock. You can't just do this for the Apostle Paul. Paul begins with this. If this is true, then this should be the result. He begins with a series of basically if-then statements. And that brings me to the second encouragement. Strive for unity in light of who God is. Strive for unity in light of who God is. In other words, if God has revealed Himself as these things, which He has... If you've experienced some of these things, which you have, then you ought to respond by pursuing unity. Specifically, because of the triune love of God and His affection for us, we ought to be motivated to respond to others in the same way. Now, I know that the Trinity is not explicitly mentioned here, but I hope you see that it's not not too much of a reach. It's not a far stretch to see it in Paul's threefold framing of the gospel in these verses. Any encouragement in Christ is where he starts. If you've known any encouragement in Christ, known by Jesus, found in Jesus, saints and servants of Jesus, as he began this letter declaring, exhorted by Jesus in places like John 17, he prays that that they all may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
You see, that's why unity matters, because our unity is a picture of the gospel, a picture of the Godhead even. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, well, what love is he talking about? Jesus' love? Certainly. The Father's love? Certainly. They're one and the same. And yet we hear the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 where he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There's that Trinitarian declaration. How deep the Father's love for us. That He would not leave us in our sins, but would send His Son to save us if any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any participation in the Spirit. Paul has already written in this letter of the help of the Holy Spirit. He did so in verse 19. The Spirit of the risen Christ who empowers and comforts and counsels us through His Word, who resides in those who are Christ's, who resides in this place, in this gathering, in His church who unites our hearts in supernatural love and affection for one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, living forever in community, in a fellowship that has overflowed its banks to those made in His image, made for an experience of that love, made to reflect that love, however imperfectly, to the world around us. Strive for unity in light of who God is. Our hearts are tied to God's heart in this way. If you're a recipient of these things, if this is the God who you know, the God who knows you, the God who you love, and the God who has loved you, then strive for unity among His people, Paul says. But what does this look like? Well, Paul gives us a glimpse of the character of this unity in two phrases. Being of the same mind and having the same love. We might say Paul's talking about the head and he's talking about the heart. Of one mind. Let's unpack that for just a moment. What's Paul saying when he says, be of one mind? I think he's saying we ought to increasingly be seeing eye to eye on things. Not everything, but many things. Maybe there are things that we can and should disagree in, but perhaps in this fellowship there is far more that we should be continuing to work towards. One commentator said this, In my reading this week, he said, United in the essentials of the gospel, we can wait patiently and expectantly for God himself to bring our minds into unity on other matters as we continue to search the scriptures together humbly and prayerfully. Now this brings up the fact, a fact that I brought up a couple weeks ago, that we all have to categorize What fits into the arena of disputable matters and what lies firmly in your head and in your heart as a non-negotiable absolute? We all have to figure out what those convictions are. But related to this, 
is maybe the more incisive and, and painful question of, are you teachable? Are you willing to change your mind? I mean, what does growth look like in your life? Are you done? No. I'm not done. None of us are done. I read an article this week about the tendencies of of Generation Z. Generation Z is many of our kids. The leading edge of Generation Z is like 25 years old or so. And of course, these are sociological categories. They're not inspired, but they're helpful for looking at how generations think. The article was speaking about how Generation Z is a generation that grew up with the the phenomenon of social media. And that has affected them greatly. And one of the most profound effects that it has had on their minds is that any person's opinion carries as much weight as another person's opinion. And so students are coming into graduate classrooms not so much to be sponges, to learn, but to fight because they already have their minds made up. Our information age has made this a challenge for all of us. Our opinions are a dime a dozen and and everyone is suddenly an expert in everything. I don't, have, I don't have some magic formula for, for sifting through all that. But I do hope that we won't give more credence to a stranger on the internet than my brother or sister that's right in front of me. This is a challenge. This is hard work. Becoming of one mind. Being of one mind. And yet that's the character of this unity. And what's even harder is what Paul says next, having the same love. Paul uses a a rare Greek word here that often refers to souls in harmony with one another. One writer says the modern phrase is equivalent to soulmates. Be soulmates with one another. It's that kind of affection that produces self-sacrifice. It's that kind of affection that you know as well as I do, you can't just muster up. It's the kind of affection that's impossible, really impossible apart from the gospel. And that's where we end this morning with the third encouragement. Strive for unity ignited by the cross of Jesus. Strive for unity ignited by the cross of Jesus. The selfish ambition and conceit of verse 3 must be replaced with humility. Literally, a lowly mindset. This is the way of Christ, brothers and sisters. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Corinthians 10.24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. The Bible says we must forget ourselves in order to exalt others. You've got a schedule. You've got a plan. 
You've got places to be. You've got people to see. But are you willing to have that throne on top of its head for a brother or sister in need? You've got resources that you worked hard for. Are you willing to take a bite out of them in order to serve another? You've got strong opinions about something. We've all got strong opinions about things. Are you willing to lay them down for your brother or sister or at least hear them out in gentleness and in tenderness and in love? This is not natural. This is not possible unless we keep our eyes on Jesus. Which is why I read the second half of this passage, which is why we're going to deep dive next week into verses 5 to 11. Because it's Christ's example, the love and the affection and the sacrifice that He has showed us that gives us the ability to turn and to show that kind of love and affection to others. It's the kind of humility that Jesus showed that must be fostered in our communion for unity to be achieved. It's as simple as that. Simple to say, but hard to do. So I have a specific challenge for you. And I know some of you have done this already. And it's brought me great joy to hear of it. Choose one fellow believer in this church, maybe in this room, and set up a time with them to talk. To talk through your differences. To talk through your opinions. To talk about the last couple years. Do it for me. Better yet, do it because of who God is. Do it because of what He has done through Jesus. Do it because of Jesus, the one who humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we confess in the selfishness of our hearts, in the pride of our own spirits, how hard it is for us to strive for unity to put aside our own desires in order to exalt others. Oh, Holy Spirit, would You, by Your Word, would You challenge us? Would You stretch us? Would You give us grace and power to strive in a way that we haven't strived before to be the church, to be a reflection of Your love, to be a reflection of Your grace. Oh, Father, take this Word, plant it deep in us for the glory of Your name and for our good, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.